Hello and welcome to the MVR podcast number 21. Today we're talking about impulse and intent. I'm Rachel Elmer. And I'm Peter Jacob. So Peter, let's always, as always, in tradition, start with how did we get to this topic? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it came up in our last supervision, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, I got confused. You were sharing the feedback that you had from a father, uh, the father of a previously traumatized child, who felt that the violence, the child's violence, had got so much worse. And at the same time, you realized that there was so little violence compared to the number of incidents and the severity of incidents that had happened um, only a few months before. And, you know, you you, you cited many examples. I, uh, I can't quite remember what examples you spoke about, but I think one was that the the boy's mother could simply go shopping again with him, which had been possible in the past and such things. And and I I was just confused because the the two messages, the, the dad's message that he'd conveyed to you that the violence was so much worse and the message that you gave me that it was so much less frequent and so much less severe, they just didn't match. Mm-hmm. And I was confused, and hence I became curious what the dad may have meant by worse. Mm-hmm. And, of course, what the, what the dad meant was that the, his, his experience of the violence was... Um, more intense, more deliberate, more more purposeful, um, and and he sensed that the violence was coming from a different place. I guess. So, the dad's experience of the violence was more intense, mm-hmm. even though there was less violence, less frequent violence, less severe violence. So he experienced the quality of the violence differently because of what he attributed the violence to. So if in the past he'd thought that his son could not control himself and could not not act with violence because of previous trauma, Mm. He now believed that the son's behavior was purposeful. Intentional. Intentional. So it, I, I guess I felt maybe the, viol- the violence is just experienced as worse by the dad because he sees intent in the child's behavior and i think this brings up the whole question of 
of intent. Can we, can we assume that the violence that, you know, is shown by children who've been traumatized, can we assume that that can be purposeful, that that can have a controlling effect? Mm-hmm. And in, in that it can happen in order to control parents. I mean, this is a key question, and I think it's a very contentious issue. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think that the many parents, this 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 father in question, hasn't brought this to my. Um, engagement with parents this is quite common this comes up a lot with parents um but also i think if i'm thinking specifically about this family that they there are so many areas of positivity and change within the relationship where the the young person is and has and you know reduced the episodes of aggression and violence but I think what's what is still very clear is that their violence still persists it's still there it's still prevalent it's still it hasn't gone completely yeah um, yeah I, I guess if, if we sit back for a moment and look mm. at what's happened and I don't know what kinds of responses the parents have cultivated in their work with you, but you haven't been able to work with the child. You've worked with the parents, and in some way, the the child has accommodated the different parental responses, Mm. and the rate of his violence has gone down. Mm. So the child must have an ability to control himself and ultimately to regulate his arousal. I'm wondering what it is that the parents in your your perception have done differently in the course of their work with you that has created conditions that he has accommodated. So much in so many areas, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one specific. I, I know, I think ultimately, if I were to talk for the mother, it would be confidence. Her parental confidence has massively grown, and thus enabling her to, to know in herself what she can and can't do what feels right for her how she's raised her presence in so many areas how she's aligned herself with her husband how they have acted in unison to give the same message to the young person I think dad is naturally a very calm peacemaker naturally that that comes quite he's very capable um very as both of them are very non-violent um very much, you know, he's been able to ground himself in ways that, that perhaps has been different in the past. He's been able to connect. Uh, he's always, he, or they both were able to connect with their son, but on a much deeper level. Their their experience of him, of the child, is 
is richer. I think they make more, um, just, I think they're just a general sense of purposeful interaction with him. I think they've found their voice in terms of expressing concern in a way that they hadn't before. Um, yeah, there's lots of things that don't tread on eggshells as much as they used to. So if if we stay with those last two things that you've just said, they don't tread on eggshells like they used to, mm-hmm. and they have acted in unison mm-hmm. in a calm and peaceful way, mm-hmm. expressing concern yeah. to the child. I wonder how they've done that. I mean, I, I'd like to sort of visualize that. Are you, what, an example of how? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that um, talking to, to, to them about trips out, you know, taking the little boy out, that that brought a sense of anxiety to them because they were anticipating some kind of behaviour from him that could be difficult uh, or publicly. I think Dad was much more at peace with that sort of stuff anyway. You know, if, if, mm-hmm. if the little boy kicked off, Dad didn't really kind of irk uh, him. But just being able to have the skills to be able to sit with him. Uh, can I just share a specific? Dad, yeah. dad took the little lad to a, a garden centre and there was this amazing interaction where the kid wanted something from the garden centre, a, a childlike toy, a puzzle, a book or something. And the parents had just said very calmly that he couldn't have it. Mm-hmm. And, and left it with that, you know, just left him with that. So he'd still carried this item to the checkout. And and the the the, the dad said, you know, you'll have to give that back to the lady before we leave. Mm-hmm. And um, and the boy did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then when he left the store, he, he got outside the store, the lad, and was just so horrified and mortified and sad and he started really crying and, and he sort of sat on the floor, this lad, and he cried and it was just really painful that he couldn't yeah. have this book or puzzle. Yeah. And um, dad just sat with him like for 10 or 15 minutes just outside the, the garden centre and people coming and going. And dad just sat with him and, and you know, sat with that little boy's discomfort but and, and nurtured him. And, it, you know, it wasn't a come on, get, you know, get a grip or get in the car or move on or don't show us up or be quiet or you can't have, you know, it was just this really wonderful moment that dad witnessed his boy give back the the toy without an episode in the shop that would have perhaps Mm -hmm. a year ago, it would have been a real escalation. It would have been a real difficult thing for the boy to manage. And here he was handing back the thing before he left the store because his father had asked him to, because he knew deep down that's what was the right thing to do. It was just such a beautiful moment where the parents recognised the boy's strength and growth in this time last year. He couldn't have managed that. Such a rich example. Beautiful. (laughs) It made me have goosebumps. Can I pick you up on something you've just said? God, yeah. You said a year ago the child could not have done that. But somewhere along the line, somebody must have believed that the child could. 
because the consequence of it, if, if, if they were to believe the child cannot control himself, and that is down to the trauma that he's experienced in early life, the consequence would be they must always let him have that toy that he wants, or they can't take him along to the garden center, mm-hmm. which would necessarily restrict family life. So the consequence would be that they must accommodate mm-hmm. what is perceived as the child's inability. And that restricts the life of the family, restricts the life of the child. Yet, what became possible was for the child to feel distress rather than to launch into aggression. Mm -hmm. And I guess to feel the distress that may have lurked behind the potential to get aggressive and the dad was able to nurture the child as you, yeah. as you described it so there there was a recognition yes this is perhaps a more vulnerable child than some others yeah because yeah. most kids they can't have the puzzle so ah, okay yeah. they're, they're more resilient here there's a real need in the child and the dad was able to respond sensitively, empathically, mm-hmm. and with warmth mm-hmm. to that need, whilst at the same time trusting the child to be able to control himself and to regulate himself so that it doesn't come to an outburst. And that to me seems to be the crux of the matter because if we assume a complete inability to to control you know oneself in traumatized children then actually the parents message hey we're concerned about this we don't want this mm-hmm. no sense mm-hmm. and it would be what many people worry uh it would be blaming. Mm. Child is has complete inability to control himself. And then we communicate an expectation to the child that he should control himself uh, as, as we help parents do in NVR. Then we would be blaming the child. Mm. You know, and indeed I have heard that NVR blames children when it says that, you know, when we say that the behavior can be purposeful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it's not an either or. You know, mm-hmm. your example sort of demonstrates so beautifully how, on the one hand, aggressive behavior, had this boy kicked off, can mm-hmm. be purposeful. I will not accept that I don't get this puzzle or whatever mm-hmm. I was, you know? Yet, when he doesn't kick off, we see that there is a vulnerable person there that mm-hmm. needs nurturing. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's not an either or. It's not 
oh gosh, because he's been traumatized, he can't control himself. Or conversely, because it's purposeful, it can't have anything to do with early life trauma or the child's vulnerability. It can be a both and, in my view. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I just recall the, the mom and dad sharing in the session this scenario, and it was just a real celebratory moment. And I just loved the fact that dad sat outside on the floor of the garden centre with the lad for it's like 10, 12 minutes, something like that. It was a while. It was a good, you know, chunk of time. But they just sat and the boy was just so devastated that he had to give it back. But there wasn't any violence and dad just nurtured that pain for the boy. You know, he sat with him given him that gift of time and allowed him just to have time to regulate. And then he got back in the car and, you know, the day continued. It was just such a connective moment. I just loved what they, what he did. I wish, I wish I could have sometimes done something like that when mine were younger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) What I've been thinking of and I don't know whether this dad in particular might find it helpful to look at it from this angle. I, I had to think of the research that Carol Dweck does. Mm. Uh, you know, her her growth mindset theory, according to which if we believe that a trait can change is not a fixed trait, if we believe that growth is possible. And we communicate that not just explicitly in what we say, but more importantly, implicitly in what we do. Mm. Then it's much more likely that there is growth and the trait changes. And uh, I just think in this example how... um, the parents communicated by a not avoiding going to the garden center. I mean, that in itself, yeah. yeah. And B, not giving in to the demand for the toy. Mm-hmm. Are they implicitly communicated in a belief in growth in the child? And I, I, I sometimes, I, I, I like to distinguish between a trauma-based view and a trauma-informed view. I think from the position of a trauma-informed view, this both and is possible. I can think of the child as having needs and acting purposefully and in controlling ways. From a trauma, from a purely trauma-based point of view, I would need to assume, no, the child cannot act differently in the here and now. And I I, I would, you know, I I think we we do a child a disservice if we assume a complete inability for Mm self-control and if we assume that their behavior is in no way purposeful. Um, It 
appears to be kind, mm-hmm. but actually we may communicate in what we do a negative expectation. If we believe the child cannot control himself, well, what do we do? Either we make sure to let him have the toy or we don't go to the garden center. And that is the prison that so many families walk into or are trapped in, you know, and and everyone in the family. The kid doesn't get to go anywhere. The parents have to plan everything down to the last detail. We we need at least two people to look after the boy while one person goes to the garden center. Who's going to do this? Do you know what I mean? We can never go together to the garden center. The child can't enjoy going to garden centers. No. You know. No. I think that was one of the key things that parents shared, you know, when they said we went to the garden centre. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You went to the garden centre with him. (laughs) That is just, you know, that's just such a milestone of, and and sort of a real indication of their commitment to this approach and how hard they've worked and embedded and learned and slept with and breathed MVR so that they are continuing to 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 be able to change that relationship with their son so that they can live their lives how they want without violence I mean ultimately that's what they're working towards yeah I, I'm sort of thinking of uh, that TED Talk Mm -hmm. that I've listened to many times by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, I think it's called The Danger of Only One Story. Okay. And she speaks about what happens when we only hear one story about an ass or one kind of story about an aspect of life. If we only heard the story of a child's inability, the story of a child's trauma that mm-hmm. has disposed the child to aggressive reactions, we would go down the route of what I call unrealistic pessimism. Mm-hmm. We would go down the route of believing it is a fixed trait that will require many years of therapy and many years of therapeutic parenting uh, to change. If conversely, we only have a story that, that says this is purposeful controlling behavior, yet we don't acknowledge that this is a child who has been hurt Mm-hmm. We also don't see the vulnerability that can be obscured behind behind the aggression and behind purposeful. Mm-hmm. So each version, each single story would be dangerous. Yeah. I think we need both stories and many more probably. So so beautifully put. Um, I love <laughs> love the fact that you're so eloquent. I, d- I wish I could describe things so well. I mean, who was the TED Talk by? 
Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Chimamanda, okay. For anyone who's listening, they can look that one up. <laughs> so it brings us to a close. Um, I just felt that the supervision we had at the beginning of this week has really set me for my, my client work this week and, and my supervision that I offer to other practitioners. It just was really helpful talking about impulse and intent around violence and and I've had some really rich discussions this week with other practitioners so I just think that really summarised for me that um, and or you know it's, it's, it's and or the explicit and implicit interactions that matter and, and this family that I'm working with have demonstrated it so beautifully that you know the change that they're seeing in themselves as parents and in their relationship with their son I think is is quite profound and I think that the example of the garden center is a real golden nugget yeah me too okay 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 well until next time say goodbye Bye then.